Good evening, everyone. This is Skip Intro. This is Ayman Rashad. In the studio with me is Ian McNally and Julian Yap. And if you guys didn't know, we are celebrating a few anniversaries this evening because um, it's the 25th anniversary of Pop Fiction and also Fight Club is 20 years old. So first up, let's talk about Pop Fiction. <laughs> I should probably start with you, Ian. When did you first see it? Did you see it when it came out in cinemas? I saw it in a Kampong cinema in Ireland with my seat, my feet over the seats in front because I was a callow youth and in an empty cinema and not knowing what it was. Because Pulp Fiction was, it didn't know what it was. It was just when you saw the trailer, it was that Miserly track, the opening track from it. It's all these disconnected scenes. It's all these great actors. It's this sunny LA vibes with ultraviolence. And it just... I was a callow youth. It didn't quite blow me away the first time because I was like, mm-hmm. what is going on with this movie? What mm-hmm. is the story? I was having flashbacks, having flashbacks to then, having flashbacks to now watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> because watching it, I watched it again last night. I was like, I don't remember being this structure. I thought we stayed with Jules and Vincent for a bit longer and then we did mm-hmm. something else later and then like, no, no. You've rearranged it in your head. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I've done as well. Yeah. But when you get to the end of it and like, it, then it's just cool. Like it is cool yeah and when it came out it was tray cool like it was just the epitome of cool cool okay uh, back then the whole like fractured timeline thing was that like a relatively new thing i mean i think it'd be done before in art house movies but it wasn't done in this movie where people were talking about why it's called a royale with cheese Mm -hmm. or just these inane conversations that these guys have re-watching jules and vincent in the car Mm-hmm. Or even yeah. just getting, getting, you know, standing in the hallway where it's not quite time to go in and that, terrorize these guys. Do you guys? know that in Amsterdam they do this? And yeah. like, I was not expecting this. I Rewatching it, I was just thinking, wow, there's a lot more downtime than I remember. It's mostly downtime. Even, it also proves even hitmen can mm-hmm. be that boring tourist friend <laughs> who won't shut up about their trip. Yeah. But even just them standing outside the room, they're about to go in and shake down these fellas. And he's just like, it's not quite 10 yet. Let's get let's hang back for a bit, or then he's like, "All right, let's get into character." Like to get into <laughs> yeah. character to go in, and it's just Samuel L. Jackson is magnetic. He is in this, and unfortunately, it spawned a lot of jerks going around reciting the whole Ezekiel twenty five seventeen thing in pubs and parties. And Pulp Fiction's responsible for a few things like that. Well, to put it simply, it's quite an influential movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> just a and little bit. we're gonna see this with the second film that we were talking about today as well. Like they're both great influences to build things off of and the Pulp Fiction is so great watching I guess today after seeing a lot of things that have been inspired by it and how um, you know the concept of the 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 storytelling the concept of you know the downtime between characters and how you use it uh, to build suspense in the story the second I see the frame uh, you know when they're about to enter the apartment Mm. and they knock on the door and he opens it the kind of terror that the guy in the couch yeah I can't remember his name yeah Uh, is it Marvin sure yeah (laughs) the terror that he has on his face the tension in that scene is 
I mean, you see it in that scene. You see it in the diner scene. You kind there's sexual tension in the diner itself. Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. <laughs> no, no, the um, with Mia and Vincent. Oh yes, that's yeah, diner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sexual tension. There's so much tension in this film, and it's you know it weaves between downtime, uptime so well that you kind of get lost in it really quick. I remember the first time I watched it, and it was just I didn't. Again, I didn't know, like like Ian said, I didn't know what I was going into. And it's almost kind of, it kind of throws you off. Like you kind of think, well, what is this? Because there's no set structure. Mm. Like It's um, not like every five minutes or, yeah. you know, you're going to switch over at a certain point. Mm. Like You just lose Pumpkin and Honey Bunny for the whole movie. And you're yeah. like, what happened to Tim Roth? I like that guy. Where's <laughs> that plumbing know, English bloke gone? Oh, there he is. And you can <laughs> right kind of expect that it's going to round up all the way. I don't but, know, though, because when they keep introducing new characters, yeah. you're like... Okay, you see Butch first, and then you see the fight thing, and mm. you've got Maria de la Lobos in the car, the taxi cab, the really <laughs> yeah. weird Colombian accented lady who just like seems like she's from a completely different movie whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. And Butch's girlfriend, the really like oh, the yeah. French lady who wants a pot. Yeah. She wants a pot belly thing. Like mm. you, you're watching that, and I've forgotten about Pumpkin and Anybody, but you're mm. just enthralled in the moment. Yeah. Just watching it again last night, though. John Travolta is so good in this. In he's just low key good. Low key he's, good. A lot of it, he's at the back. Yeah. Like when they go into the apartment, he's just standing at the back, just playing around, and then he pipes up Royale with cheese, yeah. and you forget that he's there a lot of the time. But yeah, he's he's doing all the talking when they're not working. Yeah. And there's even when like the wolf comes to clean up the blood splattered mess in the back of the car. Yeah. Spoilers: Marvin doesn't make it, <laughs> and then. Um, He's just the way he's standing there, like Jules is leaning against the door frame and he's just standing there, but you can see the kind of annoyance building. Like he's not even doing anything, but he's like, a please would be nice when he has to go. Mm-hmm. He's like, you need to clean that car and you need to have it scrubbed. Otherwise we're all in trouble in 15 minutes. And he's like, please would be nice. <laughs> and that insolence is in him. And I'd forgotten about the last scene when Jules and Vincent walk out of the diner after the confrontation with Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. And they're in their nerd clothes because their cool suits have been thrown in the trash because they're covered in blood. Mm -hmm. And as they're just walking out, they're both (laughs) holding their guns. They pause, look look back, tuck their giant (laughs) guns into their like swim trunk shorts Mm -hmm. and then just casually stroll out the door as the music plays. It's just a lot of credit is given to the writing. A lot of credit is given to the structure. But like the performances as well are fantastic. Eric Stoltz, when he... He's on the, he hangs up on Vincent and he's opening the blinds to his front door. And as he's playing with the blind, the carriage just tears across it. And mm-hmm. Eric Stoltz's physical reaction is yep. fantastic. <laughs> the music as well is something that that music that plays out over the end. Yeah. It, Not even, even the end, just from the start. From the start, it, yeah. It starts off completely quiet. You've just got diner noises, you know, as they start, as Pumpkin and Honey Bunny start shooting up the diner. And then it goes straight to maybe the coolest title card one of the coolest title yeah. cards. It's beautifully, it's beautifully drawn, and you've got Miserable playing, and then you've got the little like radio. The radio th- switches th- to Jungle th- Boogie, right? Yeah. yeah, and then it cuts to them in the radio, and it's just so iconic. It's great, and you can see this later in his other work. You and you brought up Once Upon a Time, and you know it's kind of you can see what he's trying to do with both of these films. A lot of it is the same. That very like sunny feeling of it. Mm, and, that LA vibes. Yeah, and I, I want to bring up um, Uma Thurman as well. Oh, yes. She is so... Man, I forget how good she is. And you can (laughs) tell how much of a muse she is in this film Mm. for Quentin Tarantino. Just though, 
way that the camera just follows her and the, how her eyes follow you while you're watching her, that diner scene is incredible. I forget how good it is until I see it again. And they're just talking about a $5 shake. Yeah. And, she, and what happens to Sony Rocky Horror? <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like she's so missed when she's not there yeah. after what happens to her happens. And you, you kind of miss her in a lot of the film. And that's the same. I know John Travolta is in quite a bit of it, but when he's not there, you miss him a lot. Yeah. We've got a few listener comments um, sort of like saying which part of the movie is their favourite. And um, Austin Stacks Boom, that's his <laughs> Twitter name. <laughs> he says, um, this movie made the soundtrack cool again, which even Scorsese hadn't with Goodfellas. Yeah, there is something with the, ta- the, the music. We talked before about there should be like a moratorium on using certain songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like the chain from Fleetwood Mac after they used it in Guardians of the Galaxy. You can't use it in anything else now for mm-hmm. five years because you just think of Guardians of the Galaxy. And when yeah. they used it in Triple Frontier, it was yeah. like... Pfft, Whatever. Yeah. It's going to be moot. What's the point? Yeah. Watching that at the time, this is not like all these songs were playing on the radio. I'd never heard any of these songs mm-hmm. going into it. And then after that, you couldn't escape hearing these because <laughs> everyone had them on tape decks. Yes, we listened to tapes back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> what is this ancient technology? Yeah. Like everyone had that cassette in their yeah. car. But even today, like you don't hear these songs on the radio. Yeah, no, you don't. And to put them all in one film yeah. and to just quickly go through them we when we were doing Once Upon a Time one of the things that we said was that they moved through the songs too quickly because obviously the point is that you know it's time moving but the music in this sets the tone and the mood and changes it so well in this one that um, you know it becomes iconic the scenes themselves become tied to that music so we've been talking about Pulp Fiction, the iconic movie by Quentin Tarantino, which has turned 25 years old this year. So um, let us know what were your favorite memories from the first time you watched it and what are your favorite scenes from the movie? Uh, WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Tweet us at skipintromy and you can write us at movies at bfm.my. And coming up, we're going to continue our conversation and we're going to look at another movie that's turned 20 this year which is Fight Club. This is Skip Intro, BFM 89.9. Bombing Frustrated Minds, BFM 89.9. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Skip Intro with Ayman, Ian and Julian. And earlier, we were talking about Pulp Fiction and to follow that conversation because it's the anniversary of a couple of movies um, this year. So Pulp Fiction turned 25 but there's another movie, which is, you may have heard of it, which is Fight Club. It turned 20 years old this year. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. Third rule of Fight Club, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out. The fight is over. Final rule, if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Well, I haven't seen it since a long time, but I do remember when I watched it, I was amazed by the twists and turns that happened in the end. Um, Neither of you saw this in the cinema, did you? No. no. Yeah. no. Yeah, that, that, I, I was like nine when it came out in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> you could have snuck in. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they're both Disciple Fiction. They are student dorm wall poster movies. Oh, for sure. Of course, yeah. Right? And I think, like, you know, they show off different sides of the film nerd. Mm-hmm. I mean, this one, deep, even deeper so, because 
watching it again, I'd forgotten about the cigarette burns and the interstitials that they insert. Like part of Tyler Durden's um, night job is inserting mm -hmm. images, unsavory images into children's movies because mm. it was film. It wasn't DCPs back then. And, and you've they got do a great ending. Huh? To a great ending to a very good film. Yeah. Yeah. A perfect <laughs> ending. And it just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's again, it's just it's trying different things out in cinema. You know, the, the soundtrack as well. I was, I was trying to think of the soundtrack, any standout tracks, but the Dust Brothers, it's essentially, you know, chill vibes to ferment anarchy too. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like it's always in the background and it works really, really well when it needs to. There's mm -hmm. a scene where, if you don't know what the movie's about, these underground fight clubs where Tyler Durden gives everyone homework, which is to go pick a fight with someone and lose. You just broke the first rule of fight club. <laughs> <I think>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when they go out to do their homework and there's this kind of like almost like ice cream man music yeah. playing mm. while they're like, you know, there's a guy with a hose who's trying to pick, he's spraying a priest with water trying to pick a fight. Mm. There's just, there's so much in there when Tyler Durden talks directly to the camera and the, the edges of the frame blur and twist. And there's also the, 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 the I love the shot of the, uh, that unnamed narrator walking through his apartment as all the Ikea furniture yes, blends yes. into mm -hmm. the place. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like it's just a, a great uh, blending of the visuals with the story that, you know, in 1999, it was kind of needed. Okay. Fight Club is about, you know, this underclass, supposedly, of mostly young white men mm. working in menial jobs who've been promised an ideal, they might say, you know, they should grow up and stop being crybabies about it. Yeah. But, like, that was a, a, a feeling at the time. Okay. There was a little bit. I mean, if you look, especially at the U.S., I think, again, coming back to Once Upon a Time, you know, the, the the Manson murders don't mean so much to us. I think for the US, like, the idea of the 1950s, the boomers and everything else is like, things were always going up. Mm. Your parents, your, your, the, the children were always doing better than the parents. You know, the, you'd always get a better job, get go to college, or what I thought. It was always this idea of improvement or, you know, the American exceptionalism. And like, the 90s is like, well, we're not exceptional anymore. We keep getting into wars. You know, people aren't getting what they thought, getting ahead the way they thought they would. Maybe it's their own fault. But there's a depth to it. For me, I have a weird fluctuating relationship to Fight Club, where upon first viewing, first time, it blows you away how many layers, what they're trying to do with the film, the reveal later on, the ending, all of it. Everything just clicks together and it works and it makes you think, you know, as a teen, you're, oh my God, angst. I have all of these feelings about like capitalism and toxic masculinity. Oh my God. And then, you know, you watch it again. It's just, oh no, men are so fragile. They need to, um, this is a good portrait of that. It plays on the vulnerabilities of men in not recognizing toxic masculinity. And then you watch it again and then it's like it's such a great criticism of it and it's mm -hmm. a great satirical piece and then you watch it again and it's like oh no what is this is this just a rom-com between uh, Tyler Durden and and the narrator so it's hard it's a hard one to pin down and I think it matters differently to a lot of people and that's good art though right yeah, and, oh yeah of course and I guess that reflects why when it first came out it was so polarizing like critics mm. were Re critics either really loved it or really hated it and yeah. only after it came out in on DVD like years later that people start yeah. to like appreciate it properly I'd forgotten that I'd forgotten that it wasn't the critical smash because I came out of that movie just my, my, I was the doors were blown off my brain oh. I was like whoa did people not like this? apparently not apparently it didn't do too well on its open I mean it was number one for the weekend but it wasn't like a box office smash so I, I know that it became a cult classic after the DVD came out Yeah, so mm -hmm. people could have the cover and could have the whole like soap thing and I think like, it came with there was, a, there was a special edition that came with soap. That's great. Or a soap dish in cool. the shape of the logo. I mean, I did see on the Wikipedia page there was some stuff about the marketing of it. They didn't know what to do with the <laughs> film. That, or the executives were 
they, 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 were, they were showing trailers just showing the fighting, like it was an action movie. Oh, I wonder is, why this wasn't critically great. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of talked around it, but the, the actual central performance as well, Brad Pitt is like, I want to have his babies in this movie. He's mm-hmm. just like, he's. They, they talk about a point where after a few, they're doughy, they're doughy fighters to start with, but after a while they're carved out of mahogany. Mm-hmm. Just him standing there yeah. with like his shirt off, gleaming in with sweat. The like, first time they all meet, yeah. even. He's such a commanding presence in the room, as he's supposed to be. Yeah. And you can just see Edward Norton's narrated just in the background slightly. Yeah. And it's so good how it just circles around them. And David Fincher, of course, is a great director. We've seen more of his work since this. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of nice to go back and see his, his style is, has been so consistent. Mm. And it's so much fun to see how much fun he's having in this one yeah because you have a great source material chuck palinick is well he's controversial problematic now yeah he's controversial (laughs) get older (laughs) yeah but he's got you know it's an interesting story and uh anyone who's read his stuff would see that it's you know fight club is kind of the perfect kind of film it's polarizing it's got all of these things but it you know, puts the screen exactly what was on paper. And, um, and, and we have a tweet from Julian Lee uh, talking about Fight Club, and uh, which reads, One of my all-time favourites. Still relevant subjects. Love the ending. Resetting for all. Problematic? That's what movie is for. Escapism. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was taken, you know, they big up, like, hate to keep bringing up Joker, but, you know, people thought this was going to cause problems and it hasn't really. It's amazing that Fight Club didn't. Like, it, mm. well, one thing is that it kind of also, another layer of it is it does kind of act on a way to, like, how not to join a cult. Yeah. Like, you know, this is how you join it. This because is how you set up a cult. So maybe be aware, now you're aware of this, don't do it. Yeah, Fight Club very clearly states, this is what happens when you've been promised something your entire life and you don't get it. Don't act out this way. Don't mm-hmm. follow the person who promises yeah. you something else that mm-hmm. is equally out of your reach or and of, crazy. And of course, the film has a lot of things, negative things tied to it now because there are people who did completely miss this message, yeah. much to <laughs> David Fincher's disappointment because he thought he'd done it so well. Yeah. All he saw was the anarchy and rebellion yeah, and it's like, project oh, man. <laughs> but you know it's still I mean revisiting it's still a very good example of it yeah, rewatching it as well the clues about the twist are yeah. fantastic mm. and there's, there's three words I have to mention that are, you know stand out in the film Helena Bonham character she is so good <laughs> she is just this like skinny smoking ghost mm-hmm. that haunts the movie and the protagonists one of my favorite things in movies just like full stop is right at the end when she comes to meet the narrator and she's like she's kind of she's angry like what the heck what is happening and oh my god your face yeah, I love the, it yeah. the delivery is yeah. just great I don't, but just like watching all the scenes in the house where she's there mm-hmm. and like Tyler's like never talked to her about me mm. and then knowing I haven't watched it in a long time so I've forgotten all these stuff like she's so mad at him all the time <laughs> and there's a very good reason for it but her performance is genius because she's just baffled yeah. with what the hell is going on in this Paper Street house. And the way that she just moves around every scene, moves up and down the house. You like can hear you, her coming. Yeah. And from the second you meet her when they're in the support group, you're just, oh no, it's Helena Bottom Carter. And this is after knowing Helena Bottom Carter. That's something so, that's forgotten is the support group stuff. Like this guy mm-hmm. is so emotionally damaged. He goes to <laughs> all these different support groups just so he can feel something. Yeah. And there's a great message there about intimacy between men and um, intimacy with your partner. So that's Helena Bottom Carter, of course. Yeah. And that sometimes gets a bit missed when you you know you've got anarchy blowing up the whole building and the system and, and the blonde banks. John Lito. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about him. And Meatloaf. <laughs> Meatloaf oh, is yeah. of course. Meatloaf yeah. is fantastic he in this is great. movie. I mean, yeah. that's a role that is so at odds with his rock star persona. I mean, his just role is fantastic. We can't say the lines <laughs> on air that uh, most define him, mm-hmm. but just 
some the bravery to take on a role like that that like you're going to have these prosthetics and you're going to have a certain look and it's a whole like weird thing it's like yeah I'm going to do that on Meatloaf sure and it's just it's another one to add to just like a brilliant rewatch I hadn't watched it in years and watching it last night was just blew me away all over again so that was our revisionist take on Pulp Fiction and Fight Club because both movies are 25 years old and 20 years old respectively. So let us know what are your favourite moments from Pulp Fiction and Fight Club. We'd like to know. You can uh, WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. You can tweet us at SkipIntroMY and you can write us at movies at bfm.my. Everything's going to be fine. strange time in my life.